With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 444. It's titled, Natural Disasters. Are they truly increasing? Last week, a deadly wildfire broke out in Maui, killing at least 99 people. It was the most deadly wildfire in the U.S. in more than a century. The town of Lahaina, a town I've been to and I suspect many of you have been to when traveling to Maui, was essentially obliterated. It has a population or had a population of 13,000. It was the capital of the Hawaiian kingdom back in the 19th century. And yet this wildfire came down the mountain slope and wiped out the town, killing many individuals. Reasons for the fire, why it was so powerful, was it was a period of drought. In Maui, that portion of Maui, it was considered abnormally dry, but generally Maui doesn't get a whole lot of rain on its south side in the summer. There was also fuel for the fire from agricultural lands that had been abandoned, and so there was grasses and shrubs to fuel the fire. And then there was the wind as Hurricane Dora passed Maui at a distance, but brought super strong winds that came down the mountain. This was a tragic event, and I was curious whether wildfires have been increasing around the world. And I was surprised to find that no, the number and extent of wildfires globally is in decline. I'll link to some data in the show notes from the Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Service that tracks this and has been tracking this data since early 2003, looking at annual global total wildfire carbon emissions, carbon dioxide put off by the fires. And there's a bar chart there that shows the trend is down. In 2022, up until December 10th, there was around 1,500 megatons of carbon emissions produced by wildfires. A research paper I found by eight co-authors published in 2017 found that the global burned area, in this case acreage, was down 24% in the 18 years that they studied up until 2017. Why is that? Well, it turns out that over that roughly two-decade period, the population in the world grew 25%, but the amount of agriculture production increased 40%. More land was used and turned into agriculture. They have found, and other researchers have found, that when there is increased investment in agricultural areas, it reduces fire activity. Now, that depends. In, in portions of Asia, where there's widespread burning of agricultural waste, that has seen increased fires and carbon emissions. But other areas, such as Brazil, where areas have been turned over to, to livestock, 
that actually suppresses the fire activity because the cows eat grass and it reduces the fuel loads. So the overall trend in wildfires is down, but it varies from year to year. And the reality is when there's a big wildfire, like in Maui, it gets huge press in the media, as it should. But there are few news stories when an area doesn't have a wildfire. Last year in France, there were a great number of wildfires with carbon emissions five times greater than it had been in the past 20 years. But even there, the trend, if we look at the trend in Spain, Portugal, and France, 2022 was a challenging year for wildfires, but the trend is flat to down. The cumulative burned area in 2023 so far, the acreage will be below average of the past 20 years. Yet somewhere like Greece, this year, 2023, has seen the burned acres upwards of three times more than usual. Canada, where a lot of that wildfire smoke has drifted into the U.S., has seen wildfires this year seven times greater than its average over the past decade, whereas the U.S. is likely to see its lowest rate of wildfires going back to 2012. At least at this point through early August, it's about 30% below its decade average. One of the things with this data is it's only 20, 25 years old, so we don't have the longer term trends to be able to assess. Are wildfires clearly falling? But if there's a reason for it that makes sense, the fact that agriculture areas are increasing and that it's a continuing trend, then then yeah, wildfires have probably come down. Wildfires are an example of a complex adaptive system. A complex adaptive system is a system, it has multiple interconnected agents, and those agents can act, they can adapt. And because they can adapt as their environment changes, they make choices, we can see emergence or patterns that emerge or behaviors that emerge. And there can be self-organization without anybody telling people what to do. We get some just natural self-organization as well as non-linearity, where a small change can produce a very large impact. And there's feedback loops where an agent makes a choice or, or something happens and other agents react to that. And that can spin into a trend that, that amplifies it or something that perhaps stabilizes some areas. And, and weather is a great example of a complex adaptive system. The elements that contributed to the Maui wildfires, including human elements, the, the farms that had been abandoned, how the the mitigation efforts that have been put in place or not, those all contributed to essentially a combustible situation where we had this massive deadly wildfire. That brings up the question, though, what about the number of natural disasters overall? Are they increasing even as global wildfires are decreasing? Yes. Turns out the actual number and severity of natural disasters is increasing. And the source for that are companies that have the greatest financial stake in natural disasters. Those are insurance companies, including reinsurance companies. They have skin in the game. A reinsurance company provides insurance to other insurance companies. It allows the frontline insurance companies to cap the risk and sell some of that risk above a certain level to reinsurance companies. Examples of major reinsurance companies include Swiss Re, and Munich Re. Munich Re has been studying the rate of natural disasters 
since the 1970s. They have scientists and obviously insurance experts, and they're looking at a wide range of data to understand the whole spectrum of natural hazards, including hurricanes, thunderstorms, floods, earthquakes, fire, and volcanic eruptions. I saw one study, this was from an IMF paper, and they had a chart produced by Munich Re that went from 1980 through 2017, and it listed out the different types of natural disasters. The geophysical events would include an earthquake, a tsunami, volcano, meteorological events, which would include a cyclone, hurricane, or other water storms, a hydrological event, which would include flood, and then climatological events, which would be extreme temperatures, drought, and forest fire. And, it, and if you look from 1980 to 2017, the climatological events, forest fires, haven't increased all that much. In fact, it's essentially flat. The hydrological events are increasing. So the floods are increasing, as are the meteorological events, the hurricanes, the thunderstorms that dump huge amounts of rain causing flash floods. That has increased. Whereas the geophysical events, earthquakes, volcanic activity, that hasn't really increased. So it's water-related events. And that ties into climate change. As temperatures warm, there are higher rates of evaporation from water, from soil. And so we have more evaporation, and then warm air can hold more water vapor. Every one degree increase Celsius in temperature increases the air's capacity to hold more water vapor by 7%. And as a result, we're getting more of these freak thunderstorms that lead to flash flooding where five or eight inches of rain are dumped within a couple of hours. That's showing up in, in the data from Munich Re, a reinsurance company that has skin in the game. Thomas Blunk, who's the chair of Munich Re's reinsurance committee, said climate change is taking an increasing toll. The natural disaster figures for, for 2022 are dominated by events that, according to the latest research findings, are more intense or are occurring more frequently. Prevention and financial protection, for example, in the form of insurance, must therefore be given high priority. There was a report in the Financial Times, worked by Swiss Re, another reinsurance company. The report by Swiss Re said that the global insurance industry has had $50 billion in losses from natural disasters this year, 2023 alone, the worst start since 2011. And two-thirds of those losses in the first half of the year were from convective storms that are characterized by the heavy rains and strong winds, which is consistent with the science of, of how warmer temperatures can lead to more severe localized rain events. Swiss Re's chief economist said the effects of climate change can already be seen in certain perils like heat waves, droughts, floods, and extreme precipitation. It's high time to invest in more climate adaption. Now, there was something else going on that I thought was interesting in that study. They mentioned that the first half losses in 2023 were also driven by expansion of urban areas, cities and the rising cost of insuring them. And this is where we get to a complex adaptive system where we have the climate and the weather events, but we also have individuals choosing where they live. As more people move to a city, it pushes up the property values. So it's more expensive then to, to fix things when they're destroyed. 
And then with increased density, there's the potential for more accidents, fires, and other incidents that insurance can protect against. There can be more strain on infrastructure within a city that can also lead to accidents that need to be reimbursed if there's an insured event. And finally, higher concentration of individuals in cities, there's more traffic congestion, raising the risk of automobile accidents as well as theft, and there's higher crime rates in urban areas. And all those things means it's more expensive to fix the building. So it isn't just the weather and an increase of natural disasters. It's also actions by humans choosing where to live, in this case, move into the city. Insurance companies don't just stand by then when they suffer underwriting losses. They raise the premiums. Swiss Re produced a report that showed that insurance companies suffered underwriting losses in 2022. And this is just looking at insurance companies in eight major advanced markets. So Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, UK, and the US. That group from those countries had underwriting losses from 2006 to 2012. And then they had a profit in seven out of 10 years heading into 2022. Now, an underwriting profit means that the amount that the insurance company had to pay out for claims was less than what they received in premiums. But if the losses were greater than they received in premiums, then that's an underwriting loss. Now, just because insurance companies experience an underwriting loss doesn't mean they lose money because they're also earning a rate of return, interest, dividends, and capital appreciation as they invest those premiums. And as a result, in those eight countries, the insurance companies still made a profit. It's just that their return on equity on an after-tax basis plummeted in 2022, and now it's expected to increase. Another way that insurance companies mitigate their exposure is if an area gets too expensive and they can't charge enough premium to avoid an underwriting loss, then they'll pull out. And we're seeing that in California, where State Farm announced this summer that they were no longer going to sell property insurance to businesses and individuals, casualty insurance. And, and they said it was due to higher inflation, but a challenging reinsurance market. And what they said is rapidly growing catastrophic exposure. It's wildfires in California, essentially. While global wildfires are down, there's been more catastrophic wildfires in California due to the drought, but also due to where people have moved. And they've moved more into areas that are prone to wildfires. According to the Insurance Information Institute, California has more than 1.2 million homes at risk for extreme wildfire, far more than any other state. The Institute said the number of acres burned in California has grown steadily in recent years as more people are moving into fire-prone areas of the state. Allstate also pulled out and will no longer be insuring homes in California. They said the cost to insure new home customers in California is far higher than the price they would pay for policies due to wildfires, higher costs for repairing homes, and higher reinsurance premiums. Again, they're pointing to the reinsurance market that is studying that ultimately holds much of the risk, and they're seeing the increase in natural disasters and the expense and their exposure. And so they're raising rates. Now, California's insurance market is challenged because all rate increases have to be approved by the insurance commissioners after 
voters approved Proposition 103 in 1988. And they can pass on premium increases, but the state has also moratorium. So when there's a wildfire, then the state, the insurance commissioner, has said that the insurance company cannot cancel those home policies in that area, in that zip code, nor can they refuse to renew the policy. So they have to continue with that exposure. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. So we see that the number of natural disasters is increasing around the world. The insurance exposure to that is also increasing. The companies that have skin in the game, they're seeing that and they're raising premiums to reflect that. The two quotes from the representatives of the reinsurance companies say that climate change has something to do with that. So I spent some time again looking at the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, the latest IPCC report. The IPCC was established in 1988 by the United Nations, and they aggregate all the scientific research on climate change, its potential impact, the risk, and the response. And so the IPCC doesn't do the research themselves. They're aggregating the research, and then they're assigning levels of confidence to various events, from very high confidence down to very low confidence, based on whether the experts agree. And so this is an aggregation of the scientific research. They also put some probabilities to things, whether something is very likely or extremely likely. So very likely would be something that has a 90 to 100% probability of happening. 
Something is just likely has a 66% to 100% probability of happening. And so they're, they're rating it and they're coming up with assessments. And I looked at the report to, to understand what they call climatic impact drivers. So what is happening in terms of natural disasters? Where is the signal amongst all the noise? Because there is natural variability of natural disasters in different regions. And so they're taking everything. And because there's natural variability in the climate, some years are colder than others. Some years are warmer than others. They're looking at the averages and they're trying to figure out where can they assess a high likelihood of what we're seeing in the natural world is due to climate change. And the results were surprising to me. The areas that they were most confident in that was highly likely was that the average air temperature is going up and that there are periods of extreme heat. They're already seeing evidence of that. They're also seeing evidence that sea ice is melting. And they are highly confident, based on the scientific consensus, that the rate of CO2 in the atmosphere has increased. Beyond that, though, the idea of more river floodings, landslides, fire weather, severe wind, hail, coastal flooding, coastal er erosion, heavy precipitation, and flood events. If you look at the table, those areas currently, and looking out to 2050, the scientific consensus is that the evidence is lacking or the signal is not present, which leads to an overall low confidence rating that those things are occurring. We know that the earth is warming. There's more CO2 in the atmosphere, that the ocean temperature is also warming. They're highly confident in that, and that the sea ice is melting. What the result of that will be, or what is actually happening, it hasn't happened yet, which is startling, I guess. But on the other hand, no, because we have the natural variability. And if we think of that average temperature going up, a bell curve, if that average temperature is increasing, that does mean that there'll be more hot days, more extreme hot days, fewer cold days, which means more melting of sea ice, which can raise the ocean levels. And, and they find that there's medium confidence by 2050 that the oceans will rise, but there's low confidence whether that will lead to flooding or not. In episode 442, we were talking about how to invest for the next 40 years. And I mentioned that there's a collective reluctance to take action on climate change, that as humans, we have status quo bias. We don't like to make changes. There's a level of inertia. And that's understandable when you look at the data. It's difficult to make changes, particularly changes that could impact economic growth, could impact lifestyles. When we can see the temperature is increasing, we can see more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We know, in theory, that can lead to more localized flooding. But beyond that, we're not sure yet, which makes it difficult for individuals to be compelled to take action. Now, we've seen that there are more natural disasters. The rate is increasing. But these are local events, like the Maui fire. It's leading to higher insurance premiums. So there's, there's an impact for us, potentially. Surprisingly, only about half of natural disaster losses are insured. That's in the developed world. In the developing world, it's only 
most households and businesses are exposed to natural disaster risk. And it's something we all have to decide is what do we want to protect against in terms of our our house, in terms of our personal safety. The other thing we need to decide on is do we reduce or try to limit our CO2 emissions? If we look at per person carbon dioxide emissions in the world, it's 4.6 metric tons per year. High-income countries generate 8.7 metric tons per year. Low- and middle-income countries, 3.3 metric tons per year. And low-income countries, per capita, CO2 emissions, 0.3 metric tons. The U.S., it's 14.6 metric tons per person, three times the world's average. And so when we talk about looking out 50 years, 100 years, as developing countries grow their economy, that's more carbon emissions and more heating of the air temperature, more heating of the ocean, more extreme events, more localized flooding events. But again, there's a lot of natural variability, and we don't know where, when, or how much. We just understand the science behind it which means we have to decide individually, particularly in the U.S., what actions do we want to take? Maybe we, like we did at our cabin, replace a propane heating source with a heat pump that works off electricity, which is primarily generated by renewables, hydro and solar. Maybe we put in more insulation in our house or put in better windows. Maybe when our internal combustion engine vehicle is at the end of its life, we replace it with an electric vehicle or a hybrid. Maybe we choose to eat less meat, but take individual actions just knowing the basic science, even though we don't know what the end result will be other than warmer temperatures, but what that will actually do. Is there a tipping point in the climate? We don't know. And that's why in episode 442, I talked about investing for the long term Assuming we'll continue to grow the economy around the world, invest in primarily cash flow generating assets so we can get that cash flow. That cash flow can grow over time. It can compound. But to maintain our flexibility, our spending flexibility, because if there is a tipping point or if one of these natural disasters happens in our area, do we have the flexibility, the reserves, the insurance reserves to protect against that? Because it doesn't appear at least based on the data, that it'll be a a global catastrophe. All at once, it will be a pocket here, a pocket there, very, very localized, as part of a complex adaptive system that might lead us to change our behavior, both in terms of where we choose to live. I'm recording this episode in our vehicle in the woods, up in the mountains, because our neighbor decided to protect against potential forest fire and has a team clearing out brush and cutting out, cutting down trees for better fire equipment access and then to protect the house, which leads to incredibly loud chainsaws. It's amazing how loud those are. And I couldn't record, so I had to get in, the, get in our ancient suburban camper and record the episode. An example of a vehicle that we need to get rid of and replace with something more environmentally friendly. Bottom line is, Natural disasters are increasing. They are more localized. It is due to climate change. But the extent of that at a highly confident level isn't yet showing up in the data, the scientific data. 
The expectation is that it, it will, but we don't know to what degree and to what extent. And that leads to inertia among governments, businesses, and households. So then we have to decide individually, do we change how we live, how much we consume, and how much carbon emissions do we create for potentially negative events that are 50 to 100 years down the road? That's episode 444. Thanks for listening. I have loved teaching you about investing on this podcast for over nine years. Some topics, though, are just better explained in writing or with a chart. And that's why we have a weekly free email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. That's why I spend a couple hours on that newsletter on Wednesday morning, as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.